Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Let's uh, open our words tonight to the book of James. We're continuing on our commentary in the book of James. We began this past Wednesday evening, and uh, we're continuing tonight. I thought I would get through the first chapter last Wednesday evening. We got through, actually, the first uh, four verses. But let me read those really quickly, and then we'll jump off into number five, all right? Uh, James, the first chapter, reading from the New King James Version. James, a bondservant. If you're not sure what that is, then, you know, you can uh, listen to the podcast, you know, get on the internet. Uh, You know, uh, we did that last week, but James claims himself to be a servant of the Lord. This James is what, uh, who I believe to be the half-brother of Jesus, who is pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And this was written uh, um, from him he was a pastor. He was not an evangelist. Many of the apostles were, were roving, itinerant preachers. As last week I said, they got to teach it and leave it with people. James had to teach it and live it with people. He approaches faith from a little different standpoint. The apostle Paul got to teach it everywhere he went, but he went somewhere new all the time, and he taught faith as a, as a matter of, of, of an explosive belief in our hearts toward God that moved the hand of God on our behalf. James, as a pastor, and he had been pastor of the church in Jerusalem at this point for perhaps 30 years. So he had to teach it and live it. It is not easy, as I said last week. I've been the pastor of this church for 30 years. It's not easy to be the pastor of one congregation in one city, especially a small town. Uh, uh, in, in, you know, for 30 years because the things you teach, other people get to challenge you and you live it for 30 years. And, you know, whenever you teach faith, it's not just an explosive idea that we have toward God and then leave you on your own to work it out. This is something that every day, every week, day in, day out, night and day both, in all times of the night, I have stared you in the face and met you in your difficulties and in your trauma, in your, in your moments, in your pressures, in your disappointments, uh, in, in the challenges of life. And we have taught a faith, just like James did, that requires us to do something about what we believe and requires us to interact with God. It requires us to shoulder a load and a burden of what we believe more than, 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 uh, than just, you know, more than just an acceptance that God has done something and he has saved our life, we are left together, as James was, working out that salvation with a fear and with trembling and day-to-day encountering the obstacles and the hurdles that come to the Christian, that come to the believer, that the the things that attack our family, the things that attack our, our own minds, and we have learned how to renew our strength in the Lord. We've learned how to wait upon him. We have learned how to believe him through the good times and the bad times. We've been in the ups and the downs and more than just watching, uh, you know, the, the, the testimony of someone else, you as James and his congregation, uh, you have been taught to walk out your faith, to do something about your faith. 
And that's what James had talked about early on, that he was a bondservant of the Lord, of, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's writing to the 12 tribes who are scattered abroad. He's writing to those who have been dispersed, to those who are displaced, to those who are going through persecution, to those who already are under an umbrella of suspicion throughout the world. He's writing here to Jews and, 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 and to the Judeo-Christian faith, to those who today are still under a micro we are still under a microscope of our community because if we are Christians and there are certain things that they expect of us, there's certain things they believe we should do and certain things they believe we shouldn't do. And we are left here under this microscope as were these 12 tribes. He's writing to them as they are dispersed throughout all of the world. And he says, my brethren, in verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. He was writing to them about the difficulties that they would face in life as they continue to hold on to their faith and trust God and walk out their faith. He said, you can know something. You can know that the testing of your faith will produce patience, a persistent, a constancy. We need to be constant. We need to be consistent and persistent with what we believe, despite what we might see, despite what we might feel, despite what might come our way. We must be those who hold on to what we have first believed. And he's writing to them that that in the face of trials, you can count it all joy because when your faith is tested, you will develop a persistence. And you want, he, he wants you to know in verse 4 that that persistence, that, that not just the ability to endure something difficult, but rather that patience, as the Greek word speaks of, that is a persistence. It's a get up and go ahead anyway type of thing. It's a push through the moment. It's not a sit back and let it happen. It's an aggressive, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do in the face of difficulty in good days and bad days, whether I have a, a million dollars in my pocket or two dimes, I'm still going to trust the Lord. I'm going to go ahead and do what I'm called to do without respect to what anyone else does around me. He said, you can let that type of patience have its perfect work. It will help you to be complete. First of all, it will help you to feel complete inside. And nothing is quite as good as feeling right with God. Nothing is quite as wonderful. Nothing is quite as comforting. Nothing is quite as encouraging as knowing that you are right with God and you're not letting the devil, this world and pressure and problems and trials and tests and temptations push you around. You're not vacillating. You're not up one day and down another day. You're not looking at the, at the bottom of the barrel and saying, woe is me. You're looking at the bottom of the barrel and saying, great is my God. That's what he's talking about. That type of persistence in faith, that type of continuing to trust God in the face of trials will have a perfect work in you that you may end up, you will end up being perfect and complete. You will end up winning the race and you will end up lacking nothing. This is a promise of God. This is the word of Almighty God from someone who was living in a, in a place, in a time, in a, in a city, in a situation that it was not easy. Daily he was facing martyrdom. Daily he was seeing his friends and his, and his Christian co-workers arrested. He was seeing the, the, the staff and the ministry of the church stoned to death for what they believed. And yet he is a teaching 
Don't back down in the face of trial and trouble, but stand strong. Keep believing what you believe. Keep doing what you're called to do. The world is watching and realize that your persistence in faith, your continuing to believe God will make you perfect, complete. It will work is what he's saying. Please don't give up on God. Where would you go? Where would you go for help if you decided to quit? Do you think quitting will be easy? It won't be. The devil will, will tear you apart. The devil will have, you know, his heyday in your life. You think he's after you now. You just quit and you just try to walk away from God and walk out in the world. He will spank you like you ain't never been spanked. He don't care about you. He doesn't love you. The world doesn't love you. Won't take care of you. Well, that's where we left it last week. We're picking up with verse 5. And again, this is a promise of God from a pastor who's tried and true, who knows what he's talking about, who's been there and done that, and is just about to go through even greater persecution, is just about to face uh, you know, uh, some of the greatest persecution that the church has ever known. And here he is writing anyway. He said, if any man, if any one of you, if any person lacks wisdom... Now, what is wisdom? Let me, let me tell you what it is before we move on. Wisdom is the access and the use of the supreme intelligence and the divine knowledge of God. Having access to divine knowledge, to supreme wisdom that God offers us. God offers you a supreme intelligence. God is smart, okay? God is supremely intelligent. He is divine and he is omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing. And he offers that to you and he calls it wisdom. You can know and have access to the knowledge, the intelligence of God. Wow. That's what he's saying. If any of you lack the intelligence of God, if any of you lacks the intelligence of God, if any of you lacks the divine knowledge or the divine wisdom of God, then ask of God. That's what he's saying. He simply said, ask. Let that person ask God. Well, I have been in situations that I needed God's intelligence. I've been in situations that I needed his knowledge to know what to do. Not just what to do, but I've been in situations that I needed him to tell me what I, I was supposed to feel. I've been in situations that I needed him to help me know what to say. And I have been in situations where I didn't check in with him and it wasn't too wise. <laughs> but if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. What will God do? Well, this is a promise. God gives to all liberally. 
Now that word liberally means simply, sincerely, openly, honestly, frankly. God will be honest with you. It will be simple enough for you to understand. And he will sincerely answer you with something that's simple, something that's easy, something that is sincere, open, honest, and frank. God's not going to lie to you to try to make you feel better. Okay? Now, if any of you lack in life knowing what to do, what to say, you can access God's divine intelligence. He's offering it to you. He calls it wisdom. And here he says that he will give it to you in a simple format. He will make sure you can understand it. He will be sincere with you, open and honest and frank with you. And without reproach. He's not going to make fun of you for not knowing He's not going to, you know, point and laugh at you. He's not going to think that your, that your question is stupid. Okay? There's nothing you can ask God that God will say, well, you're stupid. Okay? Not going to happen. He's not going to reproach you or get on to you or aggravate you or attack you for asking him what you should do what you should say, what you should feel. How should I get through this? When will this be over? How can I help others to avoid this same pitfall? What do I need to do to encourage my friends, my family? And it will be given you. If any of you lacks, do you know what that word lacks means? To lack, it means to be left behind. That's what it means. Have you ever felt left behind in the wisdom department? Or in some other situation? Well, if any of you feel left behind and you feel deficit or not included and you don't know what to do about it, ask God. He will give you access to his divine intelligence, to his supreme knowledge, and he'll make it simple enough for you so that you can understand it. He'll be honest with you. He won't sugarcoat it. He'll give it to you. Verse 6, but there's a condition. But you have to, as he says, but let him ask in faith. Oh, no, it's conditional. You know, Every time I read a promise from God, I look around and there's a condition to it. That thing about eating. He says, you don't work, you don't eat. I'm, well, hello. I thought, Lord, that, you know, here, here he said, you know, the birds don't worry about what they eat, you know, and everything. And, and, and my God cares more about me. And then I get over there and find out it's conditional. <laughs> hello. <laughs> oh, come on. This is good stuff. See, this is one of the reasons why some scholars have a problem with the book of James. Some of them believe it shouldn't be in the Bible because James just not, he doesn't have enough grace. <laughs> that's, that's what they believe. They're, 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 you know, there are a couple of camps. Of course, it's a smaller camp that believes that James shouldn't be in the Bible. 
But it was arguable by a lot of people and has been in every generation, every age for 2,000 years. Why? Because James says that, look, buddy, faith without works is dead. Okay? He'll, he'll say later on that, you know, yeah, Noah believed God, but if he hadn't built a boat, you know, Abraham believed God, but if he hadn't, you know, lifted the knife to his son, Abraham, you know, I mean, oh, yeah, Abraham believed God, but if he hadn't built a boat, he would have drowned believing God. Excuse me, not Abraham, Noah. Thank you. I got wrong guy on the wrong boat. <laughs> Noah. That's the reality of it. And here he's saying that if we lack access to his simple divine intelligence, we should ask him, but it's conditional that we actually trust him. But let him ask in faith. We need to approach God from a position of trusting him because the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that those who come to God must, number one, believe that he is, and number two, believe that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So it is conditional that we actually believe God is a good God. Because if we don't, then God may not be as you know, focused on the other problem we're trying to get him to fix as he is focused on our heart problem with him. Hello? When there's a heart problem between you and God, when there's a trust problem between you and God, that might be his primary thing he's working on. He may not be trying to get you the place where he can get you, you know, a new house or pay your electricity bill. Yeah, this is good stuff. <laughs> but let him ask in faith with no doubting. Oh my goodness, no doubting. How in the world do you have no doubts? Well, you need to understand this particular word that is written doubt right here, okay? Now, faith is our personal conviction that God can and will respond to my request. Faith cannot make God say yes if God's answer is no. But faith is my conviction, my personal conviction that God will respond to my request. That is my faith. Now, in the Old Testament, the children of God in the Old Testament believed God was able. Okay? But they didn't necessarily believe that he would. And even today, if you get in that population of the children of Israel, they will still tell you that God is able. And at the same time, they don't know if he will. In a New Testament, the children of God are supposed to believe 
what the people in the Old Testament believed, that our God is able. There's one God, only one God, and he is God. He is the only God. He is God Almighty. But we are also called to have the kind of faith that says, my God will. Not only can he, but he will. He will respond to my request. He hears my cry. He answers my cry. If I call upon him, he hears me. And here, we are supposed to not have any doubting. Let him ask with a personal conviction. The general population called the children of God believes that God is able. But God's asking us to take one more step. To believe that he's good enough. That he will respond to our request in a way that is best for us. Now, doubt. But let him ask in faith, you know, with no doubting. This is a Greek word called diachrono. Okay? I know that doesn't mean a whole lot to you at the moment, but it's different than the Greek word distazo for doubting and a few other words. So not every time that you read doubt do we have a clear English word that matches up to that specific Greek word. Does that make sense? Because it was said very specifically, and our English language has a more general understanding of these words through the ages. This particular concept of, of, of doubting used here in, in, in James 1, 6, um, I understand it best even as a progressive doubt. It literally means to hesitate. To hesitate. That's what it means. It's also cast in different shades. Not to hesitate. Hesitate. I want to trust God, but I'm hesitating. I'm waiting. Ask God, believing He's going to give it to you, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm hesitating. I'm hesitating to believe. I'm, 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 I'm hesitating to ask. I'm hesitating to trust. I, I'm, I'm, I just have a hesitation. I have a, a you know, a, I'm, not, I'm not fully stepping over there. Okay? I'm just waiting. It also means to stagger or to waver. Okay? You can find it in Romans, the fourth chapter, in verse 20, that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God. That word staggered is the Greek word diachrono. Stagger. Another translation says that Abraham did not waver. Wavering. Okay? It's a hesitation and it's a wavering. Uh, you know, do, you, do you know what staggering does? Imagine someone who is uh, inebriated. You ever see him stagger? Staggering. There's no predictable direction. One step in one direction does not mean you're going to keep going that direction at the same speed. You might change directions unpredictably because you're staggering. Okay, because, because no, no step is a direct step towards something. Okay, 
you're staggering. Abraham did not stagger at the promise of God. He did not waver at the promise of God. That means that he, that, that, that he didn't go, well, I believe I'll trust God. Well, I'm not going to trust God. Well, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm going to wait. No, wait. I'm, I'm, I'm going to trust God. No, well, maybe I will. Maybe God will do this. Well, I don't know. Maybe he'll do this. Okay? That's staggering. Okay? It also means to contend. It's translated in the Bible, contend. Okay? In Acts, the 11th chapter and verse 2, they contended with the apostle. Well, this type of doubting begins with just hesitating. I'm not sure I'm ready to believe God. I'm not sure I'm ready to do what's wise. I'm not sure I'm ready to know what God wants me to do. I'm not sure that I'm ready uh, to, 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 you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm going to hesitate. I'm just going to wait just a moment. You know, people do that in salvation. If somebody's going to get saved, they need to believe God to get saved, but sometimes they hesitate. This type of doubting not only uh, 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 causes someone to hesitate, but then it'll cause them to start and stop and, 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 and go, you know, kind of toward God kind of believe in God and maybe not believe in God. And then you know what happens? They decide they're going to believe God. They decide they're going to do right. They decide they're going to, you know, do what God wants them to. And then they're back over here. And they're not getting anything from God. It's not simple. It's not understandable. It's not working. They're wondering why. You know, and in a moment... They're going to start contending that I knew God wouldn't help me. You know, God, you know, I knew it didn't work. In fact, I want you to know, you know, I tried church. I tried it. I tried it. And they start contending with the very thing that came to save them. That's the kind of doubting that he's talking about. That's what this word encapsulates. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it shall be given unto him. But let him ask in faith, nothing doubting, no doubting, nothing hesi not, not hesitating, not staggering, and not contending with me as to whether or not I am God and I know what I'm talking about, trying to, make, you know, trying to make God think that it's not simple enough for you to do. That's stupid to try to think that God has something hard for you to do. That's the craziest. You're contending with God. Hello? Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't commit adultery. How, how simple do you need it? I bet you $300 Royce could get up here and finish this sermon louder than me. <laughs> it's a simple gospel, isn't it, Royce? It's simple. Let him ask in faith, not hesitating, not staggering back and forth, and not contending with the very thing that's going to help you. 
People come and ask me counsel. I'll give them the word of God and they'll argue over why that won't work or they tried it or whatever. You know, this kind of doubt is often born out of fear, fear of change, fear of, fear of what, what happens when I finally decide to do right. I don't want to do right right now. You don't understand. I don't, I mean, I, I, love, I, mean, I, I really love having nothing and being in a horrible situation. I'm, I'm real familiar with hell, but it puts us at variance within ourselves so that we have no confidence in what we do, and we have no conviction in what we do. When we have confidence and we have conviction, we walk straight to it. It's simple, one foot in front of the other one, and keep walking till you get there. That's not that hard. Get a job, show up, and keep showing up every day until you retire. That's not hard. <laughs> okay, well, hey, what can I say? I love Romans 14, 23, by the way, though, where this word diachrono is in there again. It says, but whoever has diachrono is condemned if he eats. Talking about eating that which is sacrificed to idols, it doesn't hurt anything. But if you don't have confidence, if you're hesitating, staggering, or contending, then you are condemned if you eat because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is error, is wrong, it's sin. The goal of God for us is not, you know, to see us act like believers. The goal of God is for us to be believers. And that determines how we act. Well, I should have wrote that in red. It is not God's goal to try to get us to act like believers. It's God's goal for us to be believers. Acting like we believe when we don't can just cause us to hesitate, and separate, contend, even in our own minds. Well, how in the world do we actually... You know, do this. Well, he said it. If you lack wisdom on how to do it, ask him. <laughs> how do you do anything? Ask God how to do it. He'll make it simple and he will tell you. Okay, so I need to go. Well, okay, let's try seven and eight. For let not that man, that man that hesitates, staggers, and wavers, that man that, that, that asks, let not that man suppose that he will receive anything of the Lord. Okay? Oh, that conditional thing again. Okay? Don't contend with God. For he is a double-minded man, 
and he's unstable in all his ways, double-minded, twice soulish, two minds. He's thinking, uh, with, you know, maybe I can, maybe I can't. Maybe God will, maybe God won't. I, you know, da, 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 da. Whenever God's made it simple and plain, he loves us, he cares about us, he has a plan for our life. He does not mind costing us something in order to get his plan done. Salvation is free to the lost, but it costs the believer to take it to the lost. You know, if, if, if God gave his only son on the cross of Calvary for our sin, I don't think he's worried about, you know, me, me and my next, you know, $50 helping somebody in a, in a, in a, in a situation. He, he doesn't mind costing me something, okay? My, my, my comfort may not be on his primary list. He loves me and cares about me. But unstable, let not that man think he should receive anything of the Lord. For a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Unstable, it means restless, you can't find any rest. You can't find any peace. You can't find any direction. It means to be without constant direction, restless. Let me give you a picture of restlessness, okay? The person who does not trust that God is simple and straightforward and will answer your questions and will give you access to his intelligence and access to his knowledge if you'll ask him, he'll care enough to tell you. And don't hesitate. Ask him as a person that when you get the word from him, you're going to do it. Well, it might not be easy. Hesitation. You'll end up contending with the very thing that could save you. Let not that man think he'll receive anything of the Lord. For a double-minded man, somebody who says, well, I think I will, who? I don't want to do that. Unstable, restless. Here's how I see restless, Pastor Robert. I experience restlessness in my life. Tonight when I go home, I really need to make up my mind. Am I going to eat something or not eat something? Because I find myself going to the refrigerator and open the door and looking around and shutting the door and walking off. And I go back and open up the refrigerator door again. I look at it and I go back off and I walk into the pantry and I look up and down and I, and I say, no, no, no. And I go back and I say, yes, yes, yes. And I look and that's, that's restless. A double-minded man, a man that can't make up his mind is Restless. I'm going to eat something when I get home. <laughs> I just ate before I got here, but I'm going to eat again. Hey, I'm not going to live a restless life. Yeah. Okay. Y'all get the picture? Okay. I love how simple the word is. God makes it so simple. It's got to be simple if he's depending on me to explain it. All right, so here's what we want to do. If you lack God's divine intelligence, if you need it, if you need wisdom, ask God. But make up your mind that you're going to do what he says because he's going to make it real simple. It may not be easy, but it'll be simple. It'll be something you can do. Amen. And if you'll do it, your faith will be tested, but when it is, count it all joy because you know that God's working on you. He's creating something on the inside of you. Keep taking those steps. Keep taking the right steps, okay? And you'll end up perfected and complete.